Uh, let's pray, and then i got to get into this message here. Jesus, we love you. We love you. We, we want for you to receive all the glory, Lord. And so we come in here with open hearts and open minds f- to say we are humble enough to be uh, challenged by you, transformed by you. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would speak through me. I give you this time to use my voice to accomplish your will. Holy Spirit, whatever it is that you want to do. And uh, we just desire for Jesus to be glorified. So we pray for hearts that are ready to receive. And uh, we posture ourselves to listen to you and grow and learn. Lord, we love you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, let's go. So my message title today is really simple, how to grow in your faith. And there's not a play on words here. It's not, it's not a riddle. I'm going to talk to you today about how to grow in your faith. If you know me, and most of you know me, I'm a proponent of growth. I'm not afraid to tell you the hard things. Um, ask any of these teenagers. I'm not afraid to tell you to do something that maybe you're a little bit uncomfortable with or to draw you into something that's a little uncomfortable for you if I feel like it's what the Lord desires, right? I, I desire to, to, for us to grow. I desire personally to grow. And I believe that just like the Lord made us to grow physically and mentally and emotionally, He also made us to grow spiritually. And I actually think that sometimes when we grow physically, mentally, emotionally, um, but we don't grow spiritually, it throws off our whole being because all of these things were meant to grow together, right? So, so, so we were designed by the Lord to grow, grow spiritually. And just like our, we don't grow physically, and I don't mean like grow up physically, I'm talking about grow into a better, healthier version of ourselves. We don't do that by accident. That doesn't happen accidentally. You don't accidentally wake up and look in the mirror and be like, man, I'm yoked right now. That doesn't happen. I wish it did. But it doesn't happen. It takes intentionality and it takes setting your mind to something and, and, and doing something in a, in a specific order in order to develop your, yourself physically into a better version of yourself, a healthier version of yourself. You know what I believe? I believe the same is true spiritually. I don't think we grow spiritually on accident. I don't think you just wake up one day and be like, my, my goodness, you know what? I have grown so much in my faith. I haven't done any work to do it. I haven't put anything into it. It just kind of happened. I just... I believe in the Lord more today. You know what I'm saying? It just doesn't happen like that. I believe that growing spiritually takes some intentionality. It takes us, takes a little bit of effort. That doesn't mean your salvation comes by works. It means that you, for you to grow in your walk with the Lord, it takes a little bit of effort. It takes a little bit of dedication. The truth is that we live in a society, we live in a culture that loves to complicate things that are very simple. And I believe that the main reason we complicate things that are very simple is because things that are very simple are not always very easy. Word? Some things are simple, but they're hard. Right? If I decide that I want to, um, if I decide that I want to get in shape, I want to lose 10 pounds, I can tell you I know the simple way to do that and yet it's really, really hard. And the, and the truth is, is that, that, that we see all the time in our society, because we love to complicate simple things, we see all these 
um, these fad diets, right? These fad diets come and they, and they, they promise you a couple things. They promise you that you can put in very little effort and dedication and you will have really wonderful results. And it's all just a complicated version of something that's very simple. They complicate simple things because simple things are not always easy. Sometimes this way of thinking seeps into the church a little bit where we can sometimes start as Christians to complicate things that are simple because the things that are simple aren't easy. Right? We try to substitute or shortcut a life of devotion and dedication with um, high-energy emotional moments, maybe at a conference or a church service. So we try to live high-energy, high-emotion moment to high-energy, high-emotion moment because we would rather try to grow and develop a walk with the Lord that way rather than to dedicate ourselves to a daily walk with the Lord, a devoted walk with the Lord. And we see this happen all throughout our society and all throughout our culture where these churches will explode and, and they have these, they have all the coolest light shows and all of this stuff. And I'm not saying all this stuff is bad in its nature. I'm just saying that when we're relying on that, we're relying on what was supposed to be a supplement to our faith as the main source of our growth, then we're not going to grow. We're not going to grow. Because that stuff was never meant to be the source of your growth. It was meant to be a supplement to your growth, maybe. But not the source of your growth. But we shortcut these things because a life of devotion and dedication to the Lord is not always easy. It's simple, but it's not always easy. See this sometimes you hear people talk about Revival, and we desire revival. And any, any person who loves the Lord desires revival because we desire for the masses to come into those awakening moment to re the revelation that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, that He saved us from our sins, that He's merciful to us, and for us to respond and surrender. That's what we desire, right? And sometimes what, what, what happens in, in church culture is what we will, um, we're, here's what I believe. Let me start with this. Here's what I believe. I believe that every revival that has ever taken place in the history of the world has been birthed out of lamenting prayer. Lamenting prayer. Somebody somewhere was so hungry for people to come into the revelation that Jesus Christ is the Savior. Somebody somewhere was so hungry for that, they lamented in private, in prayer, and the Lord responded to that. And sometimes what, we, what happens in church culture, we can um, instead say, that's hard. No, I, don't, I don't really want to do that. I don't want to spend time lamenting in prayer for months, years, in order to see revival. Instead, what we'll do is we'll put together a really good digital team, and then we'll put together a YouTube channel, and we'll, we'll, we'll do all of these uh, really creative um, outreach events in order to bring in attendance. And then when attendance comes in, we'll call it revival. But attendance isn't revival, right? Attendance isn't revival, but we want to complicate something that's very simple because the thing that is really simple is not really easy. Word? 
The truth is, is that growth is uncomfortable. Growth is uncomfortable because growth leads you into the unfamiliar. And most of us in reality would rather stay in what we're familiar with and what we're comfortable with. But to grow, we have to be willing to be led into the places we've not gone before to experience the things we've not experienced before. We have to be willing to be stretched to be led into the unfamiliar and to the uncomfortable so that we can see Jesus work in ways we've never seen him work before. Comfort is, comfort is really the ultimate enemy of growth. So it, literally, this is when we are obsessed with our own comfort, we will, um, you'll live your whole life not living in the fullness of what the Lord has for you because you would rather be comfortable than to grow. It's the enemy. It's the, it's the absolute enemy of growth. So the question is, is and, and maybe we're not asking this uh, uh, consciously, but maybe subconsciously, why in the world do I have to grow? If I've accepted Jesus as my Savior, I'm going to go to heaven someday. Why do I have to grow in my, my faith walk? Why do I have to grow at all? Maybe we don't say that consciously, but I think subconsciously, a lot of people are sitting here saying, I'm comfortable where I'm at. I'm perfectly satisfied with never growing my faith or walk with the Lord. I'm, I'm pretty content with coming to church on Sundays and... and uh, and, uh, you know, doing my thing and then and, and someday get to go to heaven. I'm, I'm perfectly content with that. But here's what Jesus says. Jesus says that makes it very, very, very clear in Scripture that faith is the currency of the kingdom. What I mean by that is faith is what takes the promises of heaven and pulls them into earth. Faith does that. That the glory of God, the conduit for the glory of God to flow from the throne of heaven into the earth is through the faith of believers. Let me show you some evidence of this. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. Whoever believes in him, whoever has faith in Jesus, will have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes, who has faith in him, is not condemned. But anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. Salvation itself is by faith alone in Jesus Christ. The promise of salvation is pulled into our being by faith in Jesus Christ. By faith. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus is, um, Jesus is approached by a man named Jairus, and, and he is a synagogue leader. And this is kind of interesting because uh, Jesus spent most of his ministry years beefing with synagogue leaders. Right? He spent most of his ministry years having a problem with Pharisees and Sadducees. These were the, these were the synagogue leaders. And I kind of wonder what Jairus' thoughts were on Jesus before this moment. But what, what he thought of Jesus didn't matter because what happened was Jairus' daughter was dying. I remember reading this book by Matty Montgomery and he said in the book, he said, you know, everybody wants a comfortable God, right? We want a God who comforts us and makes us feel all warm and fuzzy inside until crisis hits. And then we need somebody who will tear through heaven and earth to help us. 
And Jairus might have thought before he might have been beefing with Jesus. All of a sudden, his daughter's dying. He says, I need somebody who will tear through heaven and earth to help me. And I happen to know a guy who has been doing just that. And he comes to Jesus to say, Jesus, I don't know what Jairus thought of Jesus before, but in this moment, he says, I need help. I need help. And Jesus goes on his way, and he's on his way going to, to Jairus' house to, to, to help Jairus to save his daughter. And he's, and he's walking on his way, and there's crowds of people, because people have heard about what Jesus has done. They've seen what he's done. They've seen him deliver people and heal people, and they're pressing up against them. And there's a woman who has been sick for 12 years with this issue of blood that sees Jesus coming along the way crowds pressing up against them. And here's the thing that you need to know about this woman with an issue of blood. According to that, the Jewish law, a woman with an issue of blood would have been deemed unclean, which means she would have lived on the outskirts of society. Nobody would have really talked to her. Nobody would have interacted with her. They didn't want to be touched by her because if you were touched by her, you were unclean too. In a moment of desperation, this woman says, for 12 years I've been sick. And I just happen to believe that if I will put my eyes to the ground and just try to touch the hem of Jesus' garment, he would would heal me. And you know what she had to do? She had to press through people that probably knew who she was. And she probably pressed through and they would look at her and say, Oh, the unclean woman just touched me. Oh, I'm unclean now because the unclean woman just touched me. And she squeezes through the crowd and she touches just the edge of Jesus' garment. And the scripture says that Jesus felt the power of that touch. And he stops in the middle of this crowd. He stops and says, who touched me? And the disciples are like, there's people all around you. What are you talking about? Who touched me? And I feel like Jesus is like, no, faith just touched me. That's what happened. Faith just touched me. And I felt the power leave my body of somebody who had faith to touch me. And he turns to this woman to see this woman who's standing there and, and the one who was called unclean and the one that people were grossed out, out by. They wouldn't touch her. They stayed away from her. She lived on the outskirts of society in every way. He turns to her and he says, daughter. I love that. I love that. Everybody's called her unclean for the past 12 years. She's the unclean woman. She's been unclean so long, they probably don't remember her name anymore. She's just the unclean woman. And Jesus turns to her, the king of heaven, and he says, daughter. I love that. You know what? You know what? I feel like if, if I don't care where you've been in your life, and I don't care what you've done in your life. When you touch Jesus, he doesn't turn around and look at you and say, oh, unclean, disgusting. He turns around, he says, son, daughter. Amen. <laughs> don't you love that? Amen. That's Jesus. He turns around and he says, that's my child right there that just touched me. And then he says this, your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. Go and be made well. You're, you're new again. That's what he tells her. You put, you put your eyes through the, to the ground and you chased after me. And I'm telling you, you touched me and, and your life will never be the same again. Faith, your faith changed your life. How powerful is that? And then Jesus is standing there in the middle of this moment. He's paused on this journey. And Jairus is probably like, the time is, is ticking, pal. My daughter is dying. And his friends come running up and they're like, it's too late, buddy. Your daughter's dead. It's too late. 
And Jairus, see, he had enough faith to run to Jesus when his daughter was sick. But now the Lord is asking him for a new level of faith because they just said she, that she's dead. She's gone. And Jesus looks at him and said, I don't care what they just said. Do you listen to me? Don't be afraid. Just have faith. Just believe. That's what Jesus says. Don't listen to what the world has said. Don't listen to them saying it's too late. Don't listen to them saying she's too far gone. Don't listen to them. You believe in me. This thing's over when I say it's over. And Jesus starts on his way and Jairus is walking in a new degree of faith here because he might have believed when she was just sick, but now she's dead. And he's like wondering probably what's going to happen here? What's going to happen? Am I just going back to my own daughter's funeral? And he walks with Jesus anyway, just walking with Jesus towards, towards what would be his daughter's funeral. And they approach the house and everybody's outside crying. And, 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 and Jesus says, don't, what are you crying for? She's just sleeping. Because here's the thing, death is just a snooze to Jesus. It's just a snooze. I tell my son this all the time. Ain't nothing but a thing, you know? <laughs> Jesus walks up like, what are you guys whining about? Death? Psh, ain't nothing but a thing. And he walks up and he, he, doesn't, he doesn't do a little dance for her. He doesn't say, grab me 15 cows, I'm going to slaughter all of them. This is the Lamb of God talk, walking up there. He doesn't, have to do a, he doesn't have to do a song and dance. He walks up and he says, hey, little girl, it's time to get up. Amen. And she gets up. By faith. That's what faith will do. In Matthew chapter 17... Jesus goes up this mountain, he's transfigured. He's literally turned into his heavenly self. And some of his disciples are with him. They don't know what to do with all this, but they just see Jesus transformed into his heavenly self and their the heavenly self and their mind is kind of blown and they come back down the mountain and Jesus is met by this man who is desperate. He's in crisis because his son is possessed by, these, by a demon and the demon will throw him into seizures and throw him on fires and try to kill him and hurt him. This is his baby boy, and he's desperate, and he said, you need to help me because I asked your disciples, and they tried to cast out the demon, but they couldn't. And Jesus walks up, and I'd imagine Jesus just walked up and was like, all right, scurry along, little demon. It's time to go. I don't think he, he might not have even said anything. He might just have walked, because here's the thing. When Jesus walked up on that beach, and there was that dude that was filled with a legion of demons, it was, legion was a, a, a Roman word, which was a reference to the largest group of Roman soldiers, an army of demons filled this man. You know what they did? They begged for mercy at Jesus' feet. So I imagine this little boy who's possessed by this demon has been torturing him, all of a sudden looks up and sees Jesus coming. He's like, you know what? Actually, I'm going to excuse myself. <laughs> I'm going to cast myself out, actually. I'll see you guys later. Have a good one. So Jesus walks up and he casts out this demon. And later on, the disciples are like, what happened? We, we said the same words you said. We did the same things you did. But the demon wouldn't come out when we were there. What was, what was the deal? And Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 17, because of your little faith. For I tell you, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you'll tell this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Faith. Faith. So it pulls heaven into earth. In Matthew chapter 8, Jesus is... Uh, is on this boat with his disciples and they're, they're on a journey across the sea. And his disciples were fishermen. They were skilled in being on the sea. They knew the waters. And all of a sudden this storm hits and this storm is treacherous, treacherous. 
And they're afraid that they're going to die. And Jesus is sleeping. <laughs> Imagine how bad the storm, Jesus would have to be getting tossed around in the bottom of the boat like, oh my, he's probably pretending to sleep. Like, oh my goodness, like, are these guys going to do something about this or what? So Jesus is sleeping in the bottom of this boat and, 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 and the disciples come down to him and they're like, what do you do? We're going to die. Do you realize that we're going to die? And Jesus says, why are you afraid? You have little faith. And he got up and he walks to the top of the boat and he tells the wind and the waves to calm themselves down and they do just what he said. You know what I was thinking this past week? I was thinking about this after reading about Jesus and coming down this mountain and saying, and the disciples being like, why couldn't we cast out this demon? He said, because you're little faith. And then he challenges the disciples in this moment on the boat where he says, why are you afraid? You have little faith. And you know what I kind of wonder? I kind of wondered if one of the disciples would have had the faith to go up to the end of that boat and say, hey, 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 the king of heaven is taking a nap. You better calm yourself down. I'll tell you what, I, I bet you the wind and waves would have silenced. I'm telling the truth. I bet they would have silenced. I think what Jesus is saying, you have little faith. He's saying, why don't you do something about it? Where's your faith to do something about it? Why don't you go tell the wind and the waves to be quiet? I was taking a nap. I, I venture to believe that they would have done that because when, he, when they said, listen, when he said to the disciples, because you're a little faith, that's why you couldn't cast out that demon. I think that if they would have walked up with the faith of Jesus, I've got the king of heaven in this boat taking a rest, and they'd have told the wind and the waves to be quiet, I think they'd have calmed right down. I think they'd have, and this is why, listen, this is why growth in our faith is imperative. It's imperative because you can't just wait until crisis hits and then be like, oh goodness, I wish I'd have grown in my faith. I don't actually believe that Jesus can do anything in this. I don't know what to do with this situation. I don't have the capacity of my faith to believe in Jesus for the impossible. This is why we have to grow in our faith because sometimes the wind and the waves, the storms of the world are going to stir up against us. And we need to have the faith to say, hey, hey, the king of heaven is resting in here. You need to calm down. When my mind starts stirring and I say, I don't know how this is going to work out for me. I need to be, my spirit needs to rise up and say, hey, the king of heaven is resting in here. You need to calm yourself down. And I believe that Jesus calls us to greater faith because he actually des desires for us to have the capacity for glory to flow through us. He desires for us to have the capacity to see the storm and say, hey, now you need to calm yourself down. Have the capacity to see the possessed and say, oh, it's time to go, partner. Have the capacity to see the sick and just go to them and say, I believe with all of my heart that Jesus loves you and his desire is that you would be healed. I think that's what Jesus desires for us. And I think all of scripture confirms that. So the question is how, how, how do we grow in our faith, right? It's one thing to know what to do, it's another thing to know how to do it, right? So let's talk about it. I've got four things for you, four ways that we grow in our faith, our walk with the Lord, so that we can be, have a greater capacity for God's glory to flow through. Romans chapter 10. Let me start with this. Romans chapter 10, 
verse 17 in the Passion Translation. It says this, Faith then is birthed in the heart that responds to God's anointed utterance of the anointed one. Let me read it again. Faith then is birthed in a heart that responds to God's anointed utterance of the anointed one. Ultimately, the key to greater faith is revelation and response. Revelation and response. Four things that four things that we can do to grow in that. Grow in revelation and response. Grow in our walk with the Lord. Grow in faith. Number one, be aware of what you consume. In my in my younger years, um, I used to eat McDonald's every day. I mean, I'm not even exaggerating. Probably every day, I lived with a bunch of guys. We didn't cook. We ate McDonald's. And one of, my, one of my friends that lived with us, he was a manager there, so we would sometimes get free food. And, uh, and so I would go there, and that was back in the good old day before inflation when they had a dollar menu, right? Someday I'm going to tell my grandkids about that, and they're going to be like, okay, yeah, yeah, Grandpa, sure. A dollar menu. I bet you they sold you food for a dollar. They had a dollar menu, and I would get two McDoubles and a McChicken every time I went. That was my go-to. And that's... And here's the thing. I would... I, Back in that time, I could eat McDonald's every day, and sometimes I'd look in the mirror and be like, it's time to lose some weight, pal. Time to lose 10 pounds. And I'd go out and run a mile, and I'd come back and be like, oh, yeah, there you go. 10 pounds, out the door. See you later. Now I'm 34. Unfortunately, my body doesn't work like that anymore. I'm still trying to work out the McDonald's I ate like four years ago. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Those last two McDoubles and McChicken did me in. I'm still working on I'm still working on I'm still working on getting that out of my system. But in my, in, my, in my maturity, I'll say, I've come to the realization that getting in shape, physically getting in shape, is about 10% what I do and about 90% what I consume. As the old saying goes, you are what you eat, right? And you're maybe not physically going to turn into a cheeseburger, but you might look like one. I, you know, every once in a while I get there too. I've, I feel you on that. But I think that it's 100% true spiritually. I think that you become what you consume. You become what you consume. Your mind, your mind is like a garden. And you create growth by consuming the living seed of the word of God. You consume that and it enters into the garden of your mind. But if your mind is a garden, there's another side of this, that you have to protect your garden from poisons and weeds that will choke out the seed, and prevent it from growing. It's interesting that last week, Pastor Ben talked about being heavenly minded. Because a few weeks ago, I talked to the teenagers. We, had, we talked about the hot topic of mental health, right? Everybody talks about mental health. We talked about that upstairs, and I told Emma afterward, I said, you know, I think I might share a message sometimes with the, with the church on this because I think it's so important. And then the Lord was like, actually, I have a dimmer guy for the job, <laughs> Pastor Ben shared this awesome message last week about being heavenly minded, uh, which is just amazing the way the Lord does that. But um, one of the things we talked about with the teenagers was the fact that we're made up of three parts. We're a spirit, and our spirit is the very core of our being. It's our inner consciousness, right? And then we have a soul, and our soul is our mind, our thoughts, our emotions, our will. And then we have a body, of course, and our body is just what you expect, our physical senses and our physical being. And when we receive salvation, we receive Jesus as our Savior. Jesus comes into the very core of who we are, our spirit. 
and he cleanses us from the blemish of sin. We become a new creation in Christ when we say yes to the gift that Jesus freely offers us of his blood on the cross, his salvation. The very core of us becomes unblemished by sin. We become a new creation, wiped clean. And while we previously, because of the sin that had stained our, our spirits, we previously had been inclined to evil, now we're inclined to good. See, that inner consciousness inside of you that before would have always been carnal in its ways, it would have always um, um, sought to seek to, to uh, satisfy yourself. Now all of a sudden, there's an inner consciousness inside of you that desires the will of the Lord. And that salvation happens inside of us. But God's desire is that what has manifest in our spirit would then come out of us into the world. God desires to take the newness, the righteousness of God, which we've become in our core, in our spirits, and to, and to manifest it into the physical, into the world. And the bridge between heaven in me and heaven on earth is right here in the mind. The bridge between heaven on earth, what's happened in my spirit, and manifesting it in the physical, is, it happens in the mind. Revelation is not something that we encounter one time, right? G, the Father, scripture says, Jesus says, nobody comes to me unless the Father calls him. It means the Father calls us to Jesus. We respond and surrender to Jesus, and we receive salvation, we receive salvation. And then the Holy Spirit's work is to come in and make our mind, our will, and our emotions agree with what has happened in our spirit, what Jesus has done in our spirit, so that we can manifest to the world the glory of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus. He takes what's happened in the very core of our being, what Jesus has done, and, our, and the Holy Spirit comes in and he aligns what's, he lines up here what's, what's happened in here, and we start to, in our lives, manifest the glory of God to the world. And this is, this is really why the ministry of the Holy Spirit is so important. And this is why the ministry of the Holy Spirit has been under attack so much in the church. We talked a few weeks about, ago, we, we spent a couple weeks talking about spiritual gifts. And spiritual gifts are a way of the Holy Spirit ministering to the church but, but the big picture is that the, the Holy Spirit's goal and purpose is to reveal Jesus. The Holy Spirit's ministry is to reveal Jesus. And when, no matter what the Holy Spirit does, whether it's working in spiritual gifts or whatever he does inside of, it's to reveal Jesus to us. Because revelation births, re response to revelation births faith. Right? When we receive the call of Jesus, call of the Father to Jesus, and we respond and surrender, we say yes to Jesus' blood, salvation happens. And here's the good news. There is nothing the enemy can do about that. He, Satan has no weapon that can overcome the blood of Jesus Christ. None. None. When, when, when the Father calls us to Jesus and we respond and say yes, all of a sudden, that's changed inside of us. That is off limits to the enemy. He can do nothing about that. 
But since he can't overcome our salvation, what he'll, what will come under attack, what he'll bring under attack is our mind. And in other words, what he's going to try to do is he's going to try to come and he's going to try to destroy the bridge that, that, that prevents Jesus heaven in us from getting out of us. And you know what I believe? I believe that, I believe the enemy knows the times and the seasons. Maybe better than we know the times and the seasons. And I don't believe, I don't believe that the mental health crisis that the world is in right now is an accident. I believe that the enemy is bringing a mental health crisis against, against the world because he is desperate for what's happened in the hearts of believers to not get out. He's desperate for it to not get out. And the truth is, is that if our mind is a garden, Sometimes what we do is we give the enemy really easy access. You want to sow some weeds? Here, I'm going to crack the door open. We watch garbage on TV. We listen to garbage music. We scroll through garbage social media. We follow garbage people on social media. All we take in is garbage. Then we read the Bible every once in a while and say, well, I'm sowing seeds in my mind. I'm just not growing. Well, yeah, it's probably getting choked out. That word, that revelation that the Lord is speaking into your mind and planting in that garden is probably getting choked out by all the other garbage you're filling your mind with. Sometimes, really, sometimes it's not even blatant sin. Sometimes it's just mind-numbing stupidity. I mean, let's be honest. Sometimes it's not that you're watching really evil things on YouTube. It's just that you're literally filling your mind with worthless things that are soaking up the resources. It's like weeds in your garden. It's just soaking up the resources that are supposed to go to grow the revelation of Jesus in your mind. We spend all our time just thinking about things that are stupid. Meanwhile, this revelation of, uh, that the Lord has planted in your mind is ready to grow. It's literally, it's ready to grow. It's trying to grow. But if all of your thoughts are just stupid stuff, then that revelation is going to be choked out. The resources that are supposed to go to growing that revelation are going to be gone. They're going to be choked out by, by the weeds of the stupid stuff that we fill our minds with. Sometimes uh, I've had teenagers, really I've had not just teenagers, I shouldn't pin this just on them. Um, I've had people come to me before and say, I need you to pray for me. I'm just, my mind is chaos. My mind is chaos. Um, I'm anxious all the time. I'm depressed. I'm this. I'm that. And I'm saying, oh, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. I believe that Jesus will, will heal you and deliver you. But after that, I want you to go home and I want you to delete social media off your phone. And they say, oh, Pastor Shane, I'm not that depressed. Okay? I'm not that anxious where I'm going to go to those extremes. All right? But sometimes what we do is like, yeah, Jesus, I'll pray for you. And you know what I believe? I believe Jesus will go in and he'll yank all those weeds out of the garden of your mind. But you know what I also believe? If you go home and open the door for the enemy and you're like, here you go, plant as many more as you want, guess what? Nothing's going to change. You're not going to grow. Sometimes we have to take real applicable moves in order to protect the garden that's trying to grow up here. The faith that's trying to grow. The revelation of the Lord that's been planted in our mind, in our heart, it's trying to grow, and sometimes we got to protect it. Sometimes that means hacking certain things off to say, you don't have access anymore. I'm not going to watch that TV show because it fills my brain with garbage. I always say this, it's not good for my soul. Some of you be like, hey, you ever watch that TV show? Sorry, partner, it's not good for my soul. It's not good for my mind. I don't need that. 
Sometimes we got to take extremes. Sometimes you got to delete social media. Stop watching that show. Stop listening to that garbage music because you're trying, you're just, you're just filling your mind, that garden. You're filling it with garbage and expecting some revelation or some faith to grow out of that. Not going to happen. Not going to work like that. We want to, if we want our faith to grow, we got to prepare the garden in our mind to receive. And not just to receive, but also to allow that faith, those seeds of the word of God to flourish and grow. Word. Number two. Respond. When the Lord calls you to something and shows you something, a different part of himself, respond. We should be constantly receiving revelation of the, from the Holy Spirit about who Jesus is. The Holy Spirit... I, I hate when people say, well, God just doesn't talk to me. Yes, he does. You don't know how to listen. He talks to you every day. Just because you don't have your ears tuned to listen, don't blame that on him. He's talking. You ain't listening. So, so, so listen, the, the, the Holy Spirit is always working in us. He's always revealing more of Jesus to us. But we have a responsibility not just to say, oh, that's kind of cool. Oh, that's kind of cool about Jesus. But actually adapt our lives according to his word. To change the way we think, to change the way that we live according to what his word says about us. Remember in Romans chapter 10, 17, it says, faith then is birthed in the heart that responds to God's anointed utterance of the, of, of the anointed one. That means that the father calls, that's the anointed utterance, calls us to the anointed one, that's Jesus. The Father calls, and when we respond, salvation happens. So, so revelation, when we respond to revelation, salvation happens. And you know how you grow? You respond to revelation. The Holy Spirit comes in, and he starts to reveal more of Jesus in your mind. As you open your scriptures, as you pray, the Holy Spirit starts to reveal more of Jesus into your mind. And you know what you do? You respond, and faith grows. Notice this. Notice that it says, the scripture says that faith is birthed in the heart that responds. That means that faith comes after the response. Faith comes after the response. I was reading Hebrews 11. It's called the faith chapter, and it mentions all these giants of the faith, right? And one of them is Noah, and I was reading this and thinking about Noah. And Noah, the Lord comes to Noah and says, I want you to build a boat in the middle of the desert when it's never rained before. Never rained before. I want you to build a boat in the middle of the desert. And you know what Noah did? He said, all right. All right, I'll build a boat. And it'd be one thing if this boat would have taken two weeks to build, right? Because you could suck it up for two weeks and be like, let's see what happens. I'll cut some trees down, nail some boards together. Let's see what happens. It was going to take them 100 years to build this thing. 100 years. 36,500 days of, of, of dedicating your blood, sweat, and tears to something. And the only evidence you have that something's going to happen is God said so. The only evidence you have. Sometimes that's all you have. Sometimes the Lord comes to you and he says, here's what I want from you. Here's what I want you to do. And the only evidence you have that he's going to come through is he said so. And you know what Noah did? For a hundred years, he responded. 
He responded. He woke up. He grinded. He brought his whole family into this purpose that the, that, that God spoke. So we're going to do as God says. I really feel like this is a word for the men too, because the scripture doesn't say that God came to Noah and his wife. The scripture didn't say that God came to Noah's wife and said, Hey, go tell Noah. Or he came, brought Noah's family to sit there and said, Here's what we're going to do. He went to Noah, the man, and he said, Here's what I want you to do. And it's not just you that's going to be saved. Your family is going to be saved by you responding to what I tell you to do. Some, listen, sometimes as men, we just wait for the Lord to tell our wife something. I'll do it whenever he tells, she tells me what to do, and then we just do it. Sometimes we need to just hear the Lord and respond and trust that our family's salvation is going to respond, is going to be dependent on our willingness to respond to what God says. Number three, be connected with a community, community of people who are also seeking to grow in their faith. This one's really simple. Iron sharpens iron. Hunger produces hunger. You ever been around somebody and you just like ate the biggest meal of your life and you're like, oh, and they start talking about some other food and you're like, actually, I'm starving now. I'm, I'm actually very hungry, right? Sometimes I'll like eat and then I'll go sit on the couch and turn on the TV and, and then there'll be some McDonald's ad for two McDoubles and a McChicken. And, and I'm like, oh, you actually, I'm really hungry now. And that, that inner voice is like, chill out, bro. You literally just ate. And I'm like, I didn't eat that, though. That's the problem. I didn't eat that. I think the same is true in our spirits. You know, I think, I think you surround yourself with people that are hungry for Jesus, and all of a sudden you start looking at, looking at them and saying, I kind of want what they want. Right? You start to surround yourself with people that just are hungry for Jesus. They, they're just desperate for Jesus. And you start to be like, actually, I'm kind of desperate too myself. I'm kind of hungry myself now. I wasn't hungry before, but I've been spending some time around some people that are hungry, and now I'm hungry. Our, our, we, our spirits work the same way. Same way. We surround ourselves with people that are hungry, you'll get hungry. Stay connected with a body. Stay connected with a body. That's why it's so important for you to come to church. One of the reasons, there's so many reasons, but it's so important for you to be here. Because you start surrounding yourself with people that are seeking the same thing as you. Hunger produces hunger. They're going to start talking about how I've been praying for something that I think is impossible. And all of a sudden, it's going to spur up inside of you a little bit of hope for that thing you thought was you had written off. So to say, if they can believe in that, then I can believe. If they can believe the Lord can do the impossible, then I believe that too. And I kind of am hungry for him. Number four, this is my final one, my final point. If you guys want to worship team, if you want to get ready. Number four, be a seeker. Be a seeker. I've been married for ten and a half years now. I don't grow in my relationship with my life, or my, my, with my wife, from one massive revelation to one massive revelation. Right? I don't grow in my relationship with Emma by some massive revelation, be like, oh my goodness, that's huge, I never knew that about you, to one another oh my goodness, that's huge. I never knew that about you. You know how I grow in my relationship with my wife? By a billion little revelations about what makes Emma, Emma, that paint a giant picture of who she is. The reason that I know her better than every one of you know her is not because of these massive revelations. Most of you know a lot of the big moments of her life, but because I spend enough time with her to know the little things. 
I, I felt like I had this uh, conviction on my heart. And this is really just for husbands, myself included. I felt this conviction as I was, I was, as I was preparing for this. Because sometimes in my own life, what I, you kind of fall into this subconscious mindset of, I've learned everything there is to know about my wife. And I stop seeking to know more about her. And when we stop seeking, the revelation stops coming. Because the same is true in our spirits. Because Jesus is revealed to the seeker. Revelation isn't random. Revelation isn't random. Jesus is revealed to the seeker. Just like I grow with my wife. If I want to grow in my walk with the Lord, then I got to be seeking. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. If anyone, anyone who asks receives, whoever seeks finds and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So Jesus says, you know what? I kind of believe him. I kind of believe him. I have no reason not to. I believe that if you start seeking the Lord, you're going to find the Lord. You start knocking on the door of the Lord, you're going to find him. He's going to open up to you. That if you want more, he'll give it to you. I believe that. In Numbers chapter 10, Jesus, not the Lord, Yahweh goes to Moses and Moses has led these people out of, um, out of Egypt and he's leading them through the wilderness to the promised land. And he builds, he has this tent of meeting. It's this place where he would meet with Moses and he would give Moses this revelation, this instruction. And then Moses would go out and gather the people to himself and he would give them the instruction. And the scripture says that he, that, that what the Lord instructor instructed him to do was make two horns and with these two horns, you blow the horns when you receive a revelation from the Lord and the people will come to you. But there's 2.4 million people here. That's 24 and a half football fields of, of Ohio State's football stadium full of people that are living in tents surrounding this area spread out over a mass area of land. If somebody wanted revelation... They had to constantly have their ear turned for the sound of the trumpet. They had to live their entire life with their ear turned, just saying, like they would go to work and they would always be listening, just listening for that trumpet because they want to be there for that revelation. They would be engaged in conversations, but they would be, have their ear turned to the Lord to say, when you have something to say, I want to be there for it, Lord. You know what I believe the same is true for us today. I think part of being a seeker is always having your ear turned to the Lord. To say, if no matter what, no matter where I'm at, no matter what I'm doing, if you have something to say, Lord, I'm listening. I'm ready. I'm ready to hear what you have to say, Lord. I don't want to miss a single revelation. Listen, I know for a fact that I have missed revelation. The times where the Lord has spoken to me, but I've been distracted. I've been distracted. I haven't had my ear tuned to hear what he has to say. And I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to do that. I don't want to live my life just with only hearing the Lord for a couple hours a day when I sit there with my Bible open. I want to hear the Lord every moment of every day whenever he has something to say. I want to have my ear tuned to hear him. I really believe that the Lord, this is simple stuff, but it's not easy. But I believe the Lord wants to deliver us into a active lifestyle of devotion because I think that he wants to grow our faith and our capacity for his glory to flow through because I actually 
dare to believe the Lord wants to heal the sick. I believe he wants to cast out demons. I think he wants to see the most, the most unclean of pre people absolutely restored with the word of the Lord. I believe he wants to see that. And I think he needs a people that will believe, will partner with him in faith to see it happen. This is, so this is a message, guess what? This is a message to respond to. The Lord's calling us to something. And he desires for his glory to flow through us. For us to be the connecting point between heaven's promises and the, and, and the, and the earth, the world. He wants us to be the conduit. I'm going to pray for you. There's a prayer team that will come up here. Maybe, maybe you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior. You've never had that inner consciousness cleaned by the blood of Jesus. Today's a good day. Or maybe you just have been struggling and you need somebody to come up and, and, and partner with you in faith. Maybe you've been lacking faith and you need to get with somebody that's hungry. There's some people who come up here and guess what? They're hungry. You need your faith stirred up. I got some people up here that will, will have stirred up their faith and they'll stir yours up too. And we'll do it together, right? I'm gonna pray for you. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for the blood of Jesus that saves us. We're thankful that, that is off limits to the enemy. There's nothing he can do about that. There's nothing he can do about that. We're thankful that you're the father, that you call us to Jesus. That we can't come unless you call, but you call, Lord. And we're here today because you're calling, Jesus. You're calling, Father. We're thankful that the Holy Spirit, that you come and you, you mend our mind, you restore our thoughts to agree with what Jesus has done in our spirit. Lord, we want to grow in our faith. We don't want to be stagnant. Stagnant water stinks. We don't want to be stagnant, Lord. We don't want to be satisfied where we're at. We want to be content and with, with you, Lord, but we want to desire growth. We want to hunger for more of you. So we ask that you would help us, Lord. Help us, stir our hearts, stir our hearts for you, Lord. As we give ourselves to devotion, as we respond to this word, Lord, and we step into it, we pray that you would meet us every step of the way, that you would meet us, Jesus. The Holy Spirit, you would pour revelation into us that would lead us into a greater revelation of who you are, Jesus that would lead the world into a greater revelation of who you are, Jesus. In all of this, you be glorified, Jesus. You be glorified, Jesus. You be glorified, Jesus. And so we praise you and we honor you and we bless you in your holy name. Amen.